This is exactly right. This is the delay <laughs> this episode is Karen. where there's a delay. We're still at home. That's Karen Kilgara. That's Georgia Hart Stark. Yes, we just pointed at each other through the computer screen. Oh, you should see us pointing. Oh, lots of pointing. So, sorry, that's content that you have to pay extra for. <laughs> We're not recording it. Wait, what? <clears throat> Wait, you do? Oh, yeah, I'm selling all this on eBay. Did you not hear? <laughs> Did you not hear about how I'm illegally selling everything from our show Shit. on eBay? I would have put makeup on. I know. Sorry. Sorry. It's more it's natural if you don't have it on. Oh, I have to say, I do put on makeup just for us in this Zoom only because it's like the one time yeah. or two times a week where it's like, well, it's a, almost like a fun thing to do of like, yeah. hey, remember, remember makeup. I appreciate it. And whenever someone wears makeup or like looks nice and I don't, I'm like, Oh, sorry. Oh, shoot. Oh, shit. Oh, shiite. I just, all my makeup's going to go bad. My fucking foundation already starting to smell. I know. I know. (laughs) I mean, oh, it's so awful. Um, (laughs) Also, I think we've talked about this, but I'm getting worse at doing makeup the longer, Mm. the longer it goes and the less practice I have. Yeah. I mean, it's all going out the fucking window. It's going, it's a little bit crazy. All bets are off. And what are we trying to prove? I like the idea that if this, if the new norm of entertainment is going to be just people at home on Zoom, mm-hmm. then not wearing makeup could be the new norm of being on Zoom. It's like, let's all admit yeah. that people are pretty unattractive. They're, <laughs> if they don't have like special effects helping their face and they're over yeah. 22, they're lighting, they're not great. And, and everyone else can relax a little bit and feel better. You know, it's been a, a real, I think, hit to a lot of people's understanding of what they look like and what you know if they're attractive or not is having to watch your little square of your face and what it looks like when you're talking Ugh. on zoom Ugh. and being like why am i doing that with my mouth all the time for real for like, real and i also can't get you can't get rid of your own face can you you can't well yeah you can change the view so it's the gallery view and everyone's the same size yeah i don't want to see no i don't want to be in that gallery I don't either because you know what? I'm so self-obsessed. The second <laughs> my face is as big as your guys's, I'm like, but what's going on over here? Look see? at those pores. Did you see what I did with this eyebrow versus this eyebrow? No, let me see. Well, this one just, I kind of was, I was oh. very intense about this one. That one looks like it's asking a sexy question. Hello, what? <laughs> what's in your pants? <laughs> <laughs> What's in your pants? It's Karen's fucking pickup line. <laughs> Hello. It's like it's like a naughty version of what's in your wallet. <laughs> hey. You're the new spokesperson for <laughs> pants. For, dockers, for cargo pants. For dockers, yeah. 
But then this eyebrow is a little bit more like, oh, you caught me at a bad time. <laughs> and you know something bad is happening in the world. I have eyelid acne. Can you see that? Oh, no. Yes, I do. It's like... I mean, I, I wouldn't have noticed it. Yeah. I think it's from laying on the couch for six hours in a row. <laughs> oh, God. If I show, Can I show you? I'm in bed right now. Look at my disgusting... How gross my pillowcase is. Oh, this, yes. I just noticed this is one of those zit stickers just attached <laughs> to my pillowcase. Well, they haven't made those in 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have nothing but time to change your pillowcase. That's all you can do is and investigate these things. And yet you don't do it. No, you don't look at, at the bare mints. That's that reminds me of my favorite. Tom Papa has the best joke. And he was like, Do you ever look at your pillowcase and go like it looks like a civil war bandage? <laughs> I can't. It's better than that, obviously. I just worded better by laughing so loudly. So sorry to everyone at home. That's the that's the joke that I wish I wrote so bad. I think it's something about being a single man. You know, it's a single man when his pillowcase looks like a Civil War bandage. (laughs) Yeah, guys, girls, just change it before you come over. We are just as disgusting. Speaking of, I wanted it. So I wanted to go ahead and start this episode by congratulating all of the graduates oh, out there. Poor dads, poor grads. <laughs> what a <laughs> shitty June you're going to have. But yes, congratulations. Yeah, there's a lot of them and they've been tagging us with their graduation from home caps with, you know, stay out of the forest and stuff on it. Oh. So congrats to all of you guys. And you guys got graduation so isn't that ripped great. Off. You really did. Well, it's not that fun. It's I will say this. When I remember very distinctly graduating from high school, <laughs> I oh yes, I remember it. But oh, um, you graduated? I did. But I do remember thinking as I was wearing like the cap and gown and walking down, um, I was just like, this feels like it should feel like some like more. And like it an doesn't, accomplishment. yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like I, I barely did homework in high school. I don't know how yeah. I graduated because I really half asked it the entire time. And it just had that feeling of like, oh, this is one of those landmark moments of my young life that again doesn't have that like right. John Hughes movie feeling. I kept thinking it would. It's the first of many disappointments in your adult life, everyone. Yeah. So. <laughs> Welcome. As dis- Join us. They, it's the class of 2020 gets it a way bigger disappointment. But then because yeah. of that, then they get like Obama coming in to be like, yeah. we, we love you guys the most. Whereas and like your teacher showing up to your house and shit oh. to like throw you cookies or I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> what are they doing? I don't know. <laughs> No, but it is. I I keep seeing the videos where it's like people being super proud that they graduated from high school, which is yeah. be- so beautiful and great. And then teachers coming up. And it is that yeah. thing. You know what it is? It's between the students and the teachers. They know what the accomplishment is. And so the fact right. that they don't get to kind of do that together is yeah. it, it really sucks. But then I think they're getting it a little bit more because of it. Yeah. Like a little extra, like the kids who have uh, like uh, their birthdays around on like on Christmas and like their parents make a bigger deal of it because it's a bummer. Which one? Asher or Lee? (laughs) Just say it. None of us. us. (laughs) You're like, again, we're Jewish. It would have been Hanukkah. I'm not going to tell you again. It's on Hanukkah every year. It's a different day every year. He does it on purpose. He does it for the attention. There's no way his birthday keeps changing. And yet (laughs) I told them there's no way. But they told me you're making a problem. 
Um, my sister sent her student, well, they're kindergartners. So they just, yeah. to them, this um, is school. You just kind of bail out of school in March. <laughs> like they don't know. Yeah. But she sends them, she's been sending them mail so that they just have little, Aww. aside from her videos that she, where she reads yes. some stories. And, um, she sent everybody some stickers, um, in That's the mail cute. and then basically saying, I miss you. And, you know, like, whatever and then she's sending me the pictures of them the parents taking the pictures of when they open their mail and get their stickers and oh, it's I gotta do that the cutest yes Can I've just been sending my nephews expensive toys <laughs> good <laughs> and it didn't think of like didn't even cross my mind to do something like personal and kind yeah <laughs> my friend Albertina I walked to the mailbox today because I also never get my mail because I n rarely get it yeah and I went to the mailbox today and pulled out a postcard from my friend Albertina who was like Hey, I just wanted you to know in this strange time I, that I really care about you. You're my good friend. Also, I just bought a hundred postcards. <laughs> oh my God. That's so smart. Let's it made me laugh so hard. Yeah. I think old fashioned mail. It's a great time to support the postal service anyway. Yes. But yeah. everybody loves getting mail. Everybody okay, loves you guys, getting mail. The book club is out. <laughs> Postcard sending is in. We can do both. Sorry to everyone. No, we can't do both. It'll be anarchy. We are not quitting the book club. I am. I, I, I'm forcing myself to finish that goddamn book. I realized after I suggested my book two weeks ago um, <laughs> by Karen Slaughter that I didn't put a trigger warning for every single thing that's ever happened to a person in their entire fucking life. Is happening in that book? Yes. Yeah. It is like. There's fucking snuff porn. There's fucking <gasps> kidnapping. Like, it's like she writes these, you know, like Gone Girl style books, but they're fucking gnarly. Yeah. So I should have said, I don't think I realized how deep it got because I was just in the beginning of it. Yeah. So I should have trigger warned that. Yeah, but you know, we are talking to mostly adults. We, there's, we know there's a couple 13 year olds out there. What's up? Holla. You don't have to be in school. But for the most part. And then I found out someone tagged me that um, the emotionally immature parent book that I had like randomly mentioned and got the title wrong was like trending on one of the like book sites. <laughs> yes. And I didn't even say it right. So I want to tell everyone it's called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Great. Lindsay C. Gibson. Um, awesome. And it's really good. So if you need it, which I didn't realize so many people would need it. That's yes. That's what it's called. Yeah. I, I, I think that's. I love the title of that book. It's so specific. And I bet you there's people who heard the title and went, I didn't know I could read a book like that. Right. Right. It's great. It's well, really helpful. And so on. Um, let's see. I'll I'll piggyback that because yeah. this is um, an audio book that I just got because I saw someone else recommending the author. Her name is Maria Konnikova, and she just mm -hmm. wrote a new book. And I think um, I read something by her. Go on. Sorry. So. Well, it's I reckon I sent it to you because I was halfway through yeah, and freaking yeah, yeah, yeah. out. So I was going to read the new book that I watched someone recommend to somebody else on Twitter. And then when I got into the audiobook uh, shop on my phone, she had a book called The Confidence Game. And it's about con men and why we fall for con men. It's like Ooh. the human psychology of what you're how you're being manipulated by con men when you are and, and what you want. Like, that's why you're getting it. it's not because of just them being good, right? It's right. Like you want something from them too. Well, it's that they're playing on these human truths that that we mm. all we all think we're a little bit smarter than the average person. We think uh -huh. that we can see things other people 
other other people can't see and we think that we're lucky we think there's all these very interesting Steven. studies that have been done <laughs> that like so when you walk up to like a three card money game and yeah. maybe you need a little bit of money you, there's some a voice inside you that tells you i could win this i'm feeling lucky that's yeah. what happens to every person because they're getting worked by that whole and also that con men almost never work alone so mm. when you watch other people win a three card money game or one of those street games you're watching a shill win the game a fake person who's working in tandem with the con man and then that's what pulls you in is other people going i can't believe it i just won 50 dollars." yeah this book man do they still have those on the street i feel like in every 80s movies there was a fucking three card monty game happening on whatever street and you just don't see it anymore you don't see it as much because i think people are a little more hip to them but what you get nowadays is stuff online and it's that kind of stuff that with older people it's you know it's the they call it the grandma scam where it's um your grandma fell for one the other day are you serious and I'm like, I would never fall for that. I'm not stupid. Like, I figured I would have known it. There was no link or anything. So it was just what I thought from my stepdad's email saying, hey, I can't get into my Amazon account. Can you just get me a $200 gift card for my nephew's birthday? Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. No problem. And then, <laughs> yeah, and I would have done it. Yeah, it's really embarrassing. That what, I, Vince I was, said, check it. Vince was like, oh, John just fucking said his email got just like... <gasps> Yes. See, so it just seemed, it was so simple. It wasn't like, let's click this link. It was his email address. It wasn't a shit ton of money. Yep. Yeah. It made sense. It wasn't a thousand dollars. So you didn't go, uh, he wouldn't ask for that. That's weird. It was just enough to be believable. I was like, man, you spent a lot of money on your nephew, but what do I, (laughs) who am I to say? Who am I to judge? I'm going to get you out of this bind. And then there's people who like, so that, that was one that they've, they know exactly who they're talking to and how to get money out of those people. And now it's yeah. it's like worse than it's ever been. Anyway, the book is called The Confidence Game. The author is Maria Konnikova, and she's also the um, narrator, which I love because you can feel the people yes. being the expert and talking. And no offense to the voiceover actors that do a great job. But when the author is the one telling you the story and it's their expertise, I feel like I absorb it so much quicker and anyway i just like i listened to that book in two days it was it it was so fascinating and now i can't i love it and she has like three other books so i can't wait to read her other ones yeah or listen to as i read next well she has one called how to think like sherlock holmes which of course i'm like give it to me maria you're gonna be like a con man and like a detective by the end of i'm finally gonna rip off old people the way i've always dreamed of (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna learn how to and now you know you can send me an email and be like hey i need for your three hundred dollars hey it's your brother. I just need $53. Look at her. She did it again. Dang. Shit. <laughs> I love the I love when people I love that idea that we could all hip ourselves up a little bit more and like educate ourselves and not get scammed. Well, it was a thing of like I think I'm too smart for to fall for one of those. Of course. And now I'm like, no you're not, dummy. It's what everyone thinks. That's the interesting yeah. thing. It's just like what they're actually playing on is the commonalities that we all have where the average person, which is most people, just always assume that they can't be tricked. And that, of course, yeah. leaves the door open for you to totally be tricked. 
Right. And so right. I just like the idea that you could learn a little of those, some of those scams. Cause it's the thing too, where a lot of people, once they've been scammed, they get scammed again because mm-hmm. they can't admit that it happened. So Ooh. then they, you know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah. they, they, if you lose, they want to fix it. Yes, so exactly. Oh. And oftentimes the mentality is like, if you lose $10, then you're like, th- then they go, do you want to double down? This could be, your, and then they're like, yeah, uh, this, uh, this is it. Now this we'll is get where it I fix it. Yeah, exactly. Right. <gasps> yeah. Oh, it's just fascinating. That's scary. Um, I have a podcast that I want to, an episode I want to recommend. So my, my new, what am I going to stop calling her? My new therapist, my therapist, um, she suggested I look into this like world renowned trauma expert doctor named Dr. Gabor Mate. Have you heard of him? Yes. And Wait. yeah, so I looked him up to look, look for any podcast episodes he was in and he's in the podcast, the newish podcast last day, which is hosted by Stephanie Whittles Wax, um, who's Harris, Harris Whittles sister, who I was friends with. I wouldn't, I mean, we're acquaintances, but, right. um, so he's this incredible trauma expert who really studies the, 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 tra- the traumatic reasoning behind addiction and everything. So she has an episode where she, um, interviews him. It's episode 17 called trauma and it was i mean it hit home it was so incredible the podcast is really cool and there's a lot of great episodes the last so day it's, it's called last day just plain like, last day last day and the idea Harris. behind it is like people's last day on earth and why and how and you know the reasons behind the issues like harris's opioid addiction and it's just it's really good. Wow. That's great. I definitely yeah. want to listen to that. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> this is a hilarious recommendation from Scotty Landis of Bananas fame. Mm-hmm. Bananas, the new weird news podcast here on the Exactly Right Network. So anyway, he, he texted me and he goes, I'm watching this show. It's called Travels by Narrowboat. <laughs> and it's, on, what? It, I believe it's on Netflix. It's a British guy who s- gets divorced, sells everything, and he gets one of those boats that go along the canals. Mm-hmm. And, <gasps> and Love those. he basically just puts his whole life on this boat. And then it's a series where that that's all that happens is him going is it, down those canals. Is it reality or is it like a fictional? No, no, reality. Oh, my God. He's like, fuck everything. Follow me down these canals. Yeah. He basically is like filmed himself of like, this is I've always dreamed of doing this. This is the life I've always wanted. And then and then you just watch him where I'm like, how? And there's like a bunch of seasons. So he's been doing it for a while and it's super beautiful. But it's also kind of like I think we've talked about it before that um, I believe it's Norwegian or Swedish slow TV where uh-huh. you it's just like basically watching something happen in real time that's kind of pleasing looking soothing and like it's not like bam 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 kind of no thing. It, it's like do have you ever wanted to go down canals in a narrow boat well now you can yeah. <laughs> it's kind, it's kind of like that it's I really love, is there a dog does he have a dog I've always I'm only I'm only on like, like episode two season one he might get a dog <laughs> like things can happen that might be like cliffhanger of season one and then <laughs> season two it's like suddenly there's a border collie oh my just the, he, he gets like a mastiff it's the hugest dog <laughs> in the world takes up half the boat but he makes it work because this is his oh, life what's it called again that sounds fun it's called travels by narrow boat 
Okay. And it's almost like if you're feeling like overwhelmed, I look for a lot of TV that's kind of like, I just want to not think about some stuff and kind of kick it or whatever. So like Joe Para has a new special on uh-huh. Adult Swim that came out last week. If you like anything like it's like he basically took a bunch of old footage of like fish under under underwater. Obviously, they're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> gasping for breath on a dock. I don't know why you know, he mellow. would do it. <laughs> Relaxing. <laughs> it's just um, uh, the Pike Place Market in Seattle. It's dead fish on ice. Anyway, it's very soothing. <laughs> no, no, he's like. It's like his voice, Joe Perra's voice, which I'm a, a huge fan of Joe Perra. He's a hilarious comic. He had a series huh. on Adult Swim. And this is like, it came out like it was his comedy special. But yeah. it literally is just him talking over like footage of relaxing stuff. I it's love it. It's hilarious. But so that I, that's on par with what I'm kind of looking at these days. And Travels by Narrow Boat is this series. And it's very much like that. We could not be more different because <laughs> the show that I recommend that I am obsessed with on Netflix is called White Lines. And it is. I, oh, I don't, wait a second. I think I watched the trailer for that. Is that like young hot people in like a boat, like in a harbor here's town? Here's what it is. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> These fucking DJs from Manchester in the late. 90s so it's like the cool fucking happy monday style hell yeah and spiral carpets get in there like drugs and then they go to fucking ibiza to become like world-renowned djs excuse me it's pronounced ibiza (laughs) (laughs) right and and what the main guy fucking disappears yes and then and then so it's back then and then we go to the fucking present where his sister who's this gorgeous actress um in real She's they, not, they she, didn't cast the ugly one? That's crazy. <laughs> That's his so edgy. sister, who was like a teenager at the time, goes to the, his body gets fine. She goes to find out who fucking killed her brother in Ibiza. And like, it's his old friends. There's drugs. There's sex parties. Like, what's who did they kill it, him or did he kill him? It's like, <laughs> it's it's so beautifully done. I'm watching and, that. And what? like, such That's Netflix? cool Netflix white lines. It's so, what? it's like got that it's like time period. But also Ibiza is so beautiful. Yes. It's got like it's got a lot going on. I love it. You know what it has going so on? It's really mostly? relaxing. The pronunciation huh? being Ibiza. 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 <laughs> Ibiza. Um, there's a similar one because, you know, it's that thing where the, the is very smart of Netflix where you go on and you're immediately watching trailers. It's so it smart. So much. But doesn't it suck you into things you would have never watched before? It's very smart. It Auto play that smart, shit. It's smart. It's smart. It drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. It drives, well, you know what it is? There's a couple shows I do not want to see at right. all. So yeah. I, ha- you have to speed through it like panic mode, so that you're like, I don't, I can't hear that voice. I just put it on mute. Try that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Um, but there's some. You might not have it on your remote. My remote's kind of like a newfangled. It's um, it's pretty. You know, it reflects my wealth. My remote. Uh, but there's a show on that. I bring this up because there was something I would have normally never watched. Yeah, it's a show called Nadia's Time to Eat, and it's a okay. British woman, and she is a mother of 
either three or four kids. She's young and she's like, no one has time for anything these days. I'm going to make all the, I'm going to show you these recipes that are super simple and delicious. So you have more time to hang out with your family instead of coming home from work, spending all this time making food and then like being exhausted and whatever. And she, these hacks, they kind of present it like they're like recipe hacks, Uh but they're fascinating. Like she does this thing where she puts like these kind of rice noodles in these little individual like sealable mason jars and you can uh-huh. pre-make all this stuff so that when you come home and they you just put in the refrigerator we come home from work you just put hot water in each one and they basically it has like a like a faux p-h-o not uh-huh. f-a-u-x fa it, fa yeah is that what how you pronounce it i think it's fa fa i only know how to pronounce ibiza i mean <laughs> Um, so anyway, that looks great. Yeah, I, I love cooking shows. That sounds perfect. It's so good. And all the stuff she makes, she also then goes and like, it's just a very well-made British cooking show. It reminds yeah. me of Nigella a lot. Oh, Nigella Cooks. What a beautiful show that was. Barefoot Contessa I love so much. Oh, yeah. I oh, know. Oh, my God. Ina Garten. She's amazing. She knows her stuff, cool. right? Cooking shows should be definitely happening right now. In your, I think that's like the best thing to leave on yes it is that thing of like when you watch someone make a beautiful thing you're not gonna go back eat the uh, fucking dregs of the uh mustard and onion pretzel bites because <laughs> then you just feel gross you're gonna For make real? something As you know what i made vince today <laughs> i'm emptying cheese it's into my mouth but watching yeah. out of the corner of my eye right like oh that looks incredible i could do that that's so easy so easy i made vince a mashed potato and cheese quesadilla today yes <laughs> Delicious. No. I hope you deep fried it. <laughs> I what if I had a deep fryer in my kitchen? So basically you took a flour or corn tortilla. Flour. Flour tortilla. We have leftover mashed potatoes. Sprinkle some cheese in there. Yeah. Roll it up. Grilled. Put it in the microwave. No, grilled that fucker. Yeah. Great. You know. That's delicious and perfect. Hell yes. Um, let's see. What else do you have? Um, oh, I just wanted to say I was so excited because I finally finally got my printer cartridge in the mail oh my god so i have a hard copy in my hand for literally the first time in like eight weeks where it's been driving me (laughs) insane watching you read your (sighs) stories just (sighs) like squinting sticking your face and not i don't care but it it has not looked comfortable (laughs) it is not you sticking your face in the computer screen and squinting your eyes to read the worst has, looks like it's not been fun for you. Well, and again, like we were talking about the beginning. Sorry, I had to put that down because I was going blind. But then you're so close to the screen that you can't right. help but see yourself and judge yourself and have all kinds of Ugh. weird, lame self-conscious feelings where you're just like. <laughs> Excuse me. Did you hear that? I heard it, and Oh, shit. Sorry. Georgia just did the thing where she lifted up the side of her shirt and burped into her shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I was being polite. Thank you. You're thinking of others in this time of COVID-19, and I appreciate it. I've been with a... I have been with a guy 24-7 too long. It is getting gross. You know, he, he wipes his fingers on his armpit, in his armpit, when he's, like, eating chips and, like, like at least use your sock. So burping into my t-shirt is was really polite of me. That's the kind of thing that you wouldn't think about until someone else witnesses you do it. Like you <laughs> you just be like, no, what? I didn't Wait. like you wouldn't even think you were doing it until you yeah. do it and get caught doing it. Sorry, Devins. Love you. 
Hey, you're the greatest. And I think it's the cutest thing. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be together if things like that annoyed me. <laughs> you know, like when things that when things you think are cute with a guy or a you know a partner. But if you're like, if I didn't like you, that would be annoying. Yes. But I must love you because I think that's adorable. Yes. That's a good way to frame it and go ahead and hold on to that framework eight months from now when his (laughs) armpits are filled with Cheeto dust and you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) And all we have left to eat are fucking mashed potato quesadillas. You're trying to make the, hey, look, I shaped these mashed potatoes into quesadillas. It's all, there's no tortillas left. It's all quesadilla. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's all mashed potato. It's a sculpture. Oh, I wanted to. So there, okay. I have one more thing. Yeah. Um, there is a woman. She's an actress. Can I guess? And, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> I thought you were serious. I was like, oh my God, do you know about what that? What if I guess? That would be amazing. Her name is Rianne Barreto. B-A-R-R-E-T-O. And out of nowhere, she starts tagging me in this thing. And it turns out she's this actress and she found out about us from her director who um, who wanted... Her, she had to learn an American accent for this role she was doing. <laughs> oh, no. And she, yeah. And her, her director, Pippa, was like, you should listen to my favorite murder. You'll get like a real accent. And so she did. And she said she became a huge fan. And so she won like the... She won the American uh, <laughs> Vocal like Fry Award. award. <laughs> no, she won the fucking special jury award for U.S. dramatic acting at fucking Sundance. And she thanked And she thanked us what? in her fucking... No. In her acceptance speech. That's fucking right. The movie is called... Um, hold on. What is the fuck is going on? The movie's called Share. S-H-A-R-E. And then she went on fucking... And then she sent me the clip. She went on Seth Meyers and talked about us. What? And he's what? like, so you got help from a podcast. And she's like, yeah, my favorite murder. Thanks, Karen and Georgia. And like, on Seth Meyers talk show. <laughs> So thank you, Rihanna. Everyone go watch the, the and movie. Congratulations. Share because and it's, see if you can hear our voices. It's amazing. It's not easy for Brit it as bad as as American oftentimes Americans' version of British accents are, as yeah. a person who watches a fuck ton of British television, you can see a British actor when they don't hire American actors and they get a British actor who's like, I uh-huh. got this, don't worry about it. Yeah. And they don't got it. It's the funniest thing because it is so about cadence and rhythm and casual, like casualness, maybe. It's, I can't. Explain it. It's just like you just know it's a British actor doing an American act. You just know it in the same way that it the other way. It's hilarious. I love it. Oh, that's so cool. We're helping. We're helping uh, cinema. Someone. Whatever. (laughs) We're we're helping someone out. Oh, I I mean, it must have been good if she won an award for it. So I mean, thank you, thank you, and you're welcome. (laughs) So you're welcome. What if the whole thing was like that? It's like you go to watch the movie, and it's the most upsetting voice of all time. (laughs) She just is supposed to be like the most annoying person that's ever lived. She's like, you guys helped me so. Oh my god, I got so much. Thank you so much because I got the background of what a really irritating girl is like. Not like this, but like you. I couldn't get it because I'm not irritating. <laughs> oh, that was a little cockney. That was a little cockney. That was good. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say um, 
The guy that's doing my dad's floors, his name is Dave Cooney, and he's the one that's the murderino. Okay, and I, I love and it. I didn't say his name when I told that story last time. Um, not everyone wants to be named. Not everyone, and maybe he still doesn't. Too bad, Dave. Thank you so much because <laughs> my sister says the floors look unbelievable. I bet. Like it, I bet he got a fucking a fucking uh, one up or whatever it's oh, called. Oh yeah, he got the extra special floor treatment. Do you think That's right. Jim got the, the, the favorite award? Jim Jim paid for like the shittiest kind of hardwood he could find. And they're yeah. like, let's give him the one up. Oh, one. let's give him the one up. That um, was nice of them. That actually makes me think I watched the movie, the original Arthur movie last night with oh, Dudley Moore. So good. That fucking, if you are looking for a laugh and if you haven't seen it, you might not like it. It's definitely very 80s comedy. Yeah. But God damn it, that thing is back to back hard jokes. It's like Liza Minnelli in there. Oh, it's so she, good. She's killer. And they, you believe they really fall in love. Like they, yeah. you can tell there's true chemistry. There's something really happening. But it is that it's so charming. And of course, John Gielgud is one of his, you know, he's so, he's the butler that's Hobson. He's yeah. so hilarious. It's just such a like laugh riot if you need, if you need something like that. That might have been one of the original ones that made me love fake drunk people. Yes. <laughs> like I like when you're, when you do fake drunk Karen. <laughs> yeah. Arthur being fake drunk. <laughs> he's amazing. He's perfect at it. He's so yeah. good. And there is a scene where it's after Hobson dies, he goes and sits in a bar and there's a drunk with him. Mm. And then he goes, Oh, that's terrible. The drunk is so hilarious and believable. The two of them being drunk together, you never for one second go, Oh, this is two actors playing drunk. Yeah. You're yeah. like, I am in a bar. These guys are shit faced. It's so realistic. That's what I thought. I love watching fake drunk lovers oh sorry this is just one more thing okay <laughs> you should see this fucking piece of paper with Jeez. insane writing all over it it just says printer underlined <laughs> twice tell the printer story it's amazing <laughs> guys i got my printer cartridges the end um last week the live show that we uh put up for you guys was from oakland 2018 and that was the show where my sister and Nora, my niece, were there and Nora came out on um, perfect cue and did a yep. cartwheel and ran away. Excellent. My sister, if anyone has video of that, that they can send oh. to our website or to Twitter or to Instagram or anywhere, my sister would love you forever. She That's all she wants in the world. And I think yeah. that at some point someone either had a picture or something maybe maybe video yeah but if you would resend also because she's nora is now like a foot taller and Ugh. a teenager who's like bye i'll be in my room <laughs> times are changing <laughs> so rapidly and we just need to hold close the memories that we have <laughs> we can only stare at her like third grade picture so much but Aww. that was that moment was so hilarious and also my sister was backstage so she didn't get to see it right right right, right. so if okay. anyone has it we'll we'll track it down okay if you would, please. And I think that is, yep, travels by narrow boat. Check. Boom. I think that's all we have. That's it. I wanted to thank, thank you to Cosmo. They've like put us on a couple nice lists recently. Oh, yeah. And I, and I said no gifts, too. Was in Cosmo. Oh, right. Hey. Speaking of I said no gifts, this week, we uh, comedic writer and performer Lamar Woods uh, from New Girl and Single Parents was with Bridger. And what's really interesting is that he grew up Jehovah's Witness, so he had <gasps> to br bring a gift or not bring a gift. And yeah. they talk about gifts. He, he, <laughs> he literally lived I said no gifts from That's God. That's right. 
That's an exactly right news. Yes. Boom. Cool. Steven, do you, um, Steven, do you want to report on anything um, from the Purrcast? Oh, well, we are talking to somebody who rescued a hairless cat. So that's always fun. Ooh. What's that hairless cat's name? Uh, Georgie, named after Jason Alexander in Seinfeld. George. <laughs> Georgie. <laughs> Georgie, Georgie the, chick- the chicken wing. Yeah. The chicken wing. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Look, I didn't not look up hairless cat rescue today but i did but i didn't yeah you got to do something right with our time and if looking up hairless cat rescues does it for you (laughs) i really did that do it who's first uh karen's first this karen kilgariff okay and i will slow down on the rose (laughs) but only a little just downshift into second gear okay this week this is one i've wanted to do for a while and a listener named Anya Weitzman wrote in to suggest it as well. Thank you, Anya. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got this information from Murderpedia, Wikipedia, and the website Medium. Uh, There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye hey karen you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing i do i know it well well while there's no cure for stress therapy can help shape your response to it and since may is mental health awareness month there's no better time to try talkspace when you sign up for talkspace you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist typically within 48 hours forbes rates talkspace as the number one online therapy platform plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies once you meet your therapy goals or if you want to cancel for any reason talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and 
be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code space 80 Goodbye. Goodbye. always has great stuff now they have and maybe great they, stuff. For, for a while they have had they have a section called the crime historian that that focuses Ooh. on like kind of older true crime stories and so that was the the article written by a writer named ash woods i used that as well for the story and i don't know if you know this the angel makers of nagreve no you've never heard this no oh shit girl okay <laughs> um so this takes place in Hungary. So Nagreve, I had to look up one of those websites where you press a button and you can hear yeah. someone pronounce it. And yeah. it was like Nagreve. Nagreve. So I'm pro- yeah. I'm definitely pronouncing it in inaccurately. But now I'm a, I'm about to go ahead and just totally destroy some last names because there I couldn't enter them into this website. Like it wouldn't help me. So it's yeah. going to be phonetic, v- visual phonetics, and it's going to be wrong. So well, my, don't worry. Everyone will correct you. Yes. <laughs> don't worry. It's going to give us all something to do in the pandemic. Don't worry. Guys, and especially you sensitive Hungarians out there, listen up because <laughs> you're about to have something to email and Twitter about. Okay. So. This story is so fascinating. I wanted to do it a couple times, but um, I don't know it. Yeah. Okay. So the year is 1911. Okay. It's uh, kind of long ago, all things considered. And we go to, this is a small, impoverished farming village in Nagreve, Hungary. I'm putting Mm -hmm. that. I don't know why. That sounds right. I'm rolling the R though, which I don't think is. Nagreve. Nagreve. That sounds right. (laughs) Nagreve. That's how she says it. Ah, yeah, yeah. Nagarif. Anyway, it's 60 miles southeast of Budapest, and a young wife named Mrs. Takax, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely wrong, T-A-K-A-C-S. Okay, Ta- she yeah. she goes to the local midwife in the middle of the night. Sorry, Stephen, I burped right in the middle of that line. <laughs> Can you please do that into your shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Okay. So Mrs. Tuckux knocks on the local midwife's door in the middle of the night. She's just been beaten up by her yeah. husband. Her alcoholic husband is just beating the shit out of her. So uh. she has to go. The midwife is the only person that's like close to a doctor yeah. in the village. And she has to go there for medical treatment. So the midwife is a woman named Julia Fazakas. Or Fazekas, or a lot of other things. I think Fazakas sounds. Fazakas is what we're going to go with. It feels yeah. right to me. So she's used to helping people at all hours of the night because right. she's basically the go-to person. But she doesn't just treat Mrs. Takak's wounds. She also tells her that she knows how she can take care of her husband for good. So let's talk about Julia Fazakas for a second. She okay. she moved to Nagarive in 1911. She's um, a middle-aged midwife. And her husband, Julius, had disappeared before she got there um, mm-hmm. under mysterious circumstances. And 
no one knows where she's from or what her background is, but she's been recommended um, to be the midwife for this village by several doctors who um, know that she has medical expertise and know what she's doing. And since Nagariv does not have a doctor or anybody um, mm-hmm. and nearby at all, they're happy to have her. So Mrs. Tuckuck sits in Julia's kitchen and watches her make a secret concoction. The mm-hmm. midwife puts flypaper into a pot of water, boils it down, extracting its arsenic. Oh, fuck. And then she bottles that arsenic water and sends Mrs. Takak's home with it. That's smart. Two days later, the midwife watches Mr. Takak's funeral procession from her front porch. He's reportedly died from a heart attack. And from that moment on, life in the little village of Nagariv takes a wild and morbid turn. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the early in early 1900s Hungary, arranged marriages are very common. That's basically kind of how it is. The women usually are much younger than the men. It has nothing to do with love or attraction or anything. It's mostly just a practical deal. The families of the girls and women, they want to get rid of the daughters. It's just an extra mouth to feed. Yeah. And the men who are who do very difficult manual labor all day long, they want someone to have babies with them. They want mm-hmm. someone to cook and clean for them. They basically want their own manual laborer at home. Yeah, it's like literally an arrangement. It's not it's not a marriage. It's just it's, kind of how we keep everything going in the village. Yeah. So not a ton of romance happening in Nagariv, apparently. Okay. Or or the surrounding area. I mean, I'm sure there <laughs> there was for sure, but this was kind of like the standard and it was what people were used to. Yeah. Um so there's also a problem in in this village, particularly um, the majority of the men that like women are just kind of there to do their bidding. There's not there's not a lot of respect for women. This is not a matriarchal society in any uh-huh. way. And a lot of them are alcoholics and they work really hard. They drink really hard and beating their wife is not that big of a deal. A deal. Mm. It's just kind of standard fare. And also, they're, uh, most of them are very, very poor. So there's a lot of stressors and there's a lot of things to be escaping from and drinking about. And so it, you know, your wife becomes, you know, basically... Is what you take out your frustrations on mm. um, there. It's just very common. It's kind of the oppressive cycle of poverty and they're all caught in it. But in 1914, World War One starts. And so almost all the able bodied men of the village are sent off to fight. And so all these young wives and women are alone for the first time and they have to now work the fields. And they're the ones that then have to go and sell and trade the crops and keep, like, keep everything going and then, and still manage the households. Oh, yeah. So they, they basically have to take over everything. Yeah. It's a ton of work, but it's the most freedom they've ever had. Yeah. They're like, this is great. We're not getting, fucking beaten yeah and we fucking we're in charge and it's actually we're we're actually very capable yeah 
I was going to say, and they're thriving, but that's an editorial spin. We don't know that that's the truth, but <laughs> but I would think that it would be kind of amazing to be like, yeah. suddenly you don't have this oppression and, and you maybe even understand a little more. You're out there working the field all day and yeah. then you come back and then you're kind of like, we just have to keep it going. But you you find it's like, I think what a, a lot it happened to a lot of women in, in World War II when they got to step up right. and they were suddenly working in factories and they were suddenly making machinery yeah. and using you know heavy machinery and going yeah i can do this this isn't this isn't a mystery this isn't all that hard yeah or it's or it hard is, it's and rewarding. i can do it yeah 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 exactly. i have it in me to do it i'm not a dainty flower so right okay so because nagriv is this isolated little village the hungarian army decides to build some pow camps there to hold russian prisoners oh dear yeah so now the women of the village who are free from their shitty, mean, drunk husbands and that have this kind of new independence, they uh -oh. fuck, they start having uh, affairs with these POWs. Um, is it about to get sexy? That's <laughs> right? what I fucking thought. I mean, I like to it, it just imagine how hot it would be. You're married to some 58 year old farmer. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly there's just like a hot Russian 20 year old that happen to get caught Amen. that's just kind of standing hanging off the chain link fence i mean i'm right. lo loving the visuals <laughs> of this are you gonna write a romance novel why not so essentially they start having these affairs and now the downside of course is there's all kinds of unwanted pregnancies that's oh spike. shit of course because it's yeah. still 1914 yeah um nobody's everybody's like well we'll, we'll take care of it what was that? Nothing. <laughs> what did you just I did it into my shirt you so just you couldn't hear it. Whispered it to your shoulder, a little secret. <laughs> okay, so of course nobody like these children can't be born because no one has the money. Everyone's oh, working their ass off. This is not this is not the time to start having love right. children. And shit probably doesn't go go down well when you've had an affair outside of your marriage. And then when your husband comes back from war and you're like, yeah. "What?" Yes, our new yeah. child. So, of course, the the women of the village turn to Julia Fizakis, ah. the midwife, for help. So, of course, she knows how to give abortions because she's a midwife and they are illegal in Hungary at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but Julia doesn't give a fuck because she's a classic midwife who's like, hey, how about some reproductive rights? Hey, how yeah. about you don't have to have a baby if you don't want to? She gains a reputation as an abortionist. She's actually been arrested for it 10 different times between 1911 and 1921. Wow. But because she's Nagreev's only doctor, the authorities always let her go. Uh -huh. And because deep down they know this is a fact of life. Okay. Right. Anyway. Right. So as World War One comes to an end in 1918, the men of Nagreev begin to return home in waves. And many of them have been wounded. And of course, all of them have been traumatized by what they've mm. seen, the horrors of war. So it definitely doesn't help the, the anger issues or their drinking problems or any of the stuff that was happening before. Mm -mm. Plus... Now these women have tasted freedom and independence mm -hmm. and, and they Russians. and <laughs> they got a little of that borshti uh, taste mm -mm, that they like mm -mm, so much. Mm -mm, yeah. So the dis domestic disputes and the domestic violence returns uh, with all everybody coming back and with these adjustments where the women are suddenly like, yeah, no, it's not going to work right. like that anymore. Yeah. 
So as more and more of these women of the village air their grievances to their trusted midwife, Julia, she starts offering them the same solution that she offered Mrs. Takax back in 1911, which is a vial of poison to be mixed in with their husband's food or drink. So slowly, more and more women take her up on this offer. Julia tells the women that the arsenic cannot be traced in a decomposing corpse and that they're so that would ensure that they would always be safe from getting into any kind of trouble. And because that there aren't any other medical experts in the village or anywhere nearby to examine the bodies, all of these deaths are ruled as heart attacks. So mm-hmm. as the word spreads amongst the women, Julia's customer base grows. Julia, you got to be cool. I be mean, cool, be cool. It, you can't it, you can't solve everything by killing. I've said it no. to you, Georgia, a thousand times, but. <laughs> But in this situation where suddenly there is an out for this, yeah. op- this oppression and this kind of like in a spot where women never had any agency whatsoever, yeah, they feel a little bit and suddenly they're like, you're not fucking taking that freedom back from me. Yeah. And it really is this kind of like this solution that feels very justified to them. Yeah. So Julia has more and more women of the village coming to her in secret and she charges them on a sliding scale. It's purely based on what they can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number of deaths in Negrive slowly climbs and climbs. Um, and grown men who otherwise seem completely healthy start dropping like flies and no one can explain why. So, of course, the townspeople are superstitious. They immediately think witchcraft is at play. <laughs> Oh, shit. A lot of the young men notice that the the men who are dying are married. So all, a bunch of the single men won't won't get married. And the marriage rate takes a nosedive. Wow. <laughs> they think it's some, like that's the connection. Cause and effect. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's oh, simply no. the marriage. And some do guess that Julia might be involved, but they have no proof of it. Um, one of the clergymen in town is later quoted as saying the superstitious peasants are terrified of Julia. They believe she has supernatural powers and as her official capacity as nurse and midwife, it gives her access to every family. She dominates the entire district. These villages, gentlemen are utterly, utterly dominated by women and the men are all afraid for their lives. Amen. <laughs> Can't help but smile to see the shoe on the other foot. But mm. There are some rules that Julie has established to keep this growing secret network of what they will later term as angel makers um, a secret. Yeah. So here's Julia's rules. You are only allowed to be in the circle if you're unhappily married. No single women, no women married to good men. So I guess that's Mm. up to Julia to decide who's good. Mm -hmm. You can only kill abusive husbands. You cannot kill good men. You can't kill women. You cannot kill children. (laughs) How decent of you. Um, And you cannot talk about the angel makers with anyone who isn't in it or with anyone who doesn't meet the requirements to join. So it's like a Hungarian female fight club, but (laughs) where the fighting leads to death and the person who's in it in the fight doesn't know that they're in the the fight. So not not like that at all. Anyway, (laughs) so essentially this this works for a while. And people keep it secret for a while. And while these these perfectly healthy and relatively young men are dropping dead, the whole village starts buzzing with fear. The people who are not in the circle. 
for the circuit. But Julia, it's the demand is so great for her services that she has to get someone else to help her. So she pulls in a local woman named Susie Ola um, or Ola. Not sure. Years before, when Susie was just 18, she poisoned her first husband the same way that Julia is poisoning. Boiling flypaper, getting that arsenic, and lacing her first husband's food with the poison. So she knows how to get it. She knows what Julia's doing. And she basically helps Julia collect and bottle the arsenic to sell it. And Susie also brings another crucial benefit to the table. Her son is the coroner of Nagreve. <gasps> smart. Yes. So, smart. right. So he's in charge of determining cause of death. And so these poisoned husbands are being written off as having died of heart attack, disease, drinking themselves to death. In one case, drowning after one of the bodies is um, thrown into a nearby river. So oh it's it's kind of the perfect crime. Yeah. Um, and it goes on for the next 10 years. Wow. <laughs> they, they, How many men are there in this town? <laughs> for real. It's, they don't go through all of them? Yeah, I think um, I think. Well. They go through a bunch of them. So it couldn't have been a tiny village. You know, it it wasn't like 200 people, obviously. Right. But um, but it goes on for 10 years with nobody saying anything and, and no one getting caught. But with that amount of unchallenged power, the women begin to get reckless and greedy. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Just like all human beings, it's how mm-hmm. it goes. So they start to deviate from Julia's strict rules and they start poisoning parents who've grown too old and are hard to oh. care for. They poison children that they can't feed anymore. No, 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 no. And they poison siblings they don't like. <laughs> So they just fucking start going crazy. Wow. So yes. Start killing everyone. Yes. They just are just like, we've got the solution and we've become like immune to the effects of this. And now yeah. this is just how we take care of business. Um, when some of the women discover they can inherit land and money from relatives, they start killing their relatives, too. Yep. So. Essentially, what begins as what some could rationalize as a vigilante act of self-defense becomes simple unchecked power. And with unchecked power, it brings out the, one of the worst qualities of humanity, greed. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as that <laughs> basically they break the pact and they just start fucking killing people and going insane. <laughs> so the villagers... The the ones with good husbands and normal families are like, what the fuck? Everyone's dying. So they start writing letters to local authorities accusing the village women of killing their relatives. Um, But there's no hard evidence. So the police can't really do anything. But the gossip is spreading. So surrounding villages are like they they know what they're up to. They know what's actually going on. Um, The exact number of deaths is unknown, but it's estimated to be around 300 Holy shit. By the time um, authorities step in, Nagreve locally earns the nickname the Murder District. Perfect. Yeah. Now it's 1929. Hungary is conducting its 10-year census. Oh, dear. So when they get their info back from Nagreve, the officials notice something very strange in those numbers. What's that? (laughs) That the death rate... So the last time they did the census in 1919, the birth rate was about... 340 to you know there are 340 more births than there were deaths okay now 
babies only have a 36 baby lead over the deaths. They, oh, it's, no. It's, it's almost the same. They close that gap. <laughs> they close that gap in a way that is very uh, unnatural and unlikely. Yeah. And so that's when Hungarian officials decide it's time to launch an investigation. Uh. There are as many deaths as there are births. As they start looking into it, they notice that the overwhelming majority of deaths are otherwise healthy adult men. Yeah. So around the same time, Negrieve's precentor, which is a word I've never heard before, but it's a person who leads the congregation at church in song or prayer. So it's kind of like a a cantor, I guess. Yeah. Well, is that right? Yes. yes, Okay. Thank you. Yes. Uh, So. This man drunkenly abuses his wife. The wife goes to her neighbor, it's who is um, an angel maker. She's in the circuit, secret circuit, named Mrs. Zabo. Mm-hmm. And um, Mrs. Zabo tells the, sells the woman some arsenic. But when the woman tries to poison her husband by pouring the arsenic into his wine, the husband catches her. Yeah. She immediately confesses um, and immediately turns to um, Mrs. Zabo and says she's oh, the no. one that so- sold me the arsenic. Fucking Honey, snitches get stitches. Snitches get candy. <laughs> <laughs> so the police go to Mrs. Zabo. They question her. She immediately cracks. And she doesn't only confess to poisoning her late husband and her brother. Oh. But she gives the police Julia Fazakis. Is that how I pronounced it? Julia Fazakis and Susie Ola's names. Not cool. Right? So everybody turns, which which would make sense, too, because this is such a strange... uh, It almost feels to me like um, uh, mass hysteria, mass murder, hysteria. You know what I mean? Where it's like... It's like, I didn't know what I was doing. This person told me to do it. It's like the the level of okay with something that is not okay got raised right. to like it's fine right we're all we're all just getting rid of the people that are bumming us out and it's like yeah. and then and it, everyone else is doing it it's a normal thing here yeah a year 10 years ten, 10 years so Julia and Susie are promptly arrested and they're brought in for questioning they both deny it smart they don't immediately turn on everybody but because <clears throat> they've worked their stories out. They've had 10 years to work the, get the stories to stick together. Um, yeah. And they stick to them and they convince the police um, that they that they have nothing to do with anything enough to be released. But they're being watched. So the police are like, okay, you can go, but they actually mm-hmm. have them followed. So then Julia goes and knocks on all of the angel makers doors in every woman in the circuit. And she's just Shit. like... Uh, this whole thing's we're shutting it down. This is yeah, over. Be, um, she doesn't cool. know. She, yeah, exactly. She doesn't know she's being followed. So she basically just leads the police oh, to every honey. woman in this in the Angel Makers secret group. Not cool. So there's two different stories of what happened next because it was so long ago. Either a local medical student finds the a drowned body of one of the victims. Um, that one of the angel makers threw in the river, tests it, discovers traces of arsenic in its fingernails and hair, and then reports it to the authorities. Or one of the ringleaders of the angel makers, a, a woman named Balint Xordas, travels to Budapest. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> and Ibiza. Ibiza. It's Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> she travels to Budapest and she asks a chemist if arsenic can be traced in dead bodies and he tells her that it can be found in fingernails and hair either way she's like whoops yeah she's like now when i poison my husband excuse me i uh what i meant to say is 
<laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Either way, the angel makers of Nagrieve, they learned arsenic can be traced, and which contradicts what Julia uh, told all of them so mm-hmm. they freak out and a group of them come up with this plan so the next night 13 of them gather in the local cemetery and start digging up tombstones and swapping them around so that <gasps> when the police come and exhume the bodies they uh-huh. won't find poison in the people they think were murdered because it will actually be the wrong Dude. coffin that's smart genius diabolical it's deeply diabolical but it is a good idea but very smart very smart don't very bad don't do that don't stop it (laughs) that's why they make gravestones so heavy can't just go (laughs) switching them around uh but but here's the thing it doesn't even matter because the police are already onto all of it so they basically catch these women the angel makers in the act of doing it oh shit they were only able to switch a couple headstones they must have been pretty heavy back then too yeah um they catch them in the act most of the women run they real the authorities realize they're dealing with with some some serious some serious criminals here so they they just start exhuming the bodies right then and whoa they pull up 50 bodies holy shit and they test them all and of those 46 test positive for arsenic oh that's like an A plus. That's like a it's like it's, that's a ninety five percent if I'm not wrong. All and I, I am. Think about you're good at math. Thanks. Everyone knows that. <laughs> but I just think about the four guys who like died, <laughs> however, of natural causes. And yeah. Like, Can you fucking bury me back up? And hey. their wives are like, I didn't kill him. She's the wife's like, I'm the one this whole time that's going. Yeah. You guys are going insane. You guys, <laughs> you're drunk with power. Stop it. I. Pinky swore I didn't kill my husband. How is that not enough for you? My husband, A, promised me that uh, he made me promise that I wouldn't kill him. And B, he made me promise I wouldn't exhume him. And now look where we are. Uh, yeah. And she sued the village of Nagreve and she won. No, that's a, those are all lies. Okay, so when the police go to arrest Julia Fazekas, I've pronounced it differently every time. I'm panicked uh, every time. One of them's got to be it. right. One of them's got to be <laughs> We're right. We're covering all the bases. <laughs> she basically sees the cops coming toward her house, and she downs a bottle of her <gasps> own arsenic and dies before she can be arrested. Whoa. Yeah. She's not playing. Goodbye. Of the 100 women arrested, 26 of them are put on trial. Uh-huh. And 12 of those are found guilty and they receive prison sentences, seven of which are sentenced to life in prison. Eight of them are sentenced to death, including, yeah, including Susie Ola and her sister Lydia. Some other women, including Balint Zordas, kill themselves in prison. Wow. Yeah. So it's the fantasy ends. It all it all yeah. falls apart. And. So a couple movies have been made about the angel makers, including a 2002 experimental Hungarian film called Huckle. It looks like it's pronounced Huckle, H-U-K-K-L-E, and the 2005 documentary The Angel Makers. Wow. And uh, there's a book called The Angel Makers by Jessica Gregson. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. Do it. It's. T-I-S-Z-A-Z-U-G. So I'll say Tizazug, A Social History of a Murder Epidemic by Bodo Bella. And those are two books you can read about 
this insane story of the angel makers of Negrive. I that was crazy. Where did you hear about that originally? I've never heard of that. That is like a classic uh one that gets mentioned on the what's the part um what's the website we love that does the lists? Ranker. That's like oh. one that's on Ranker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and it's basically kind of like I always didn't want to do the research because it's old and I was always like, do we even have names? Do we even know the, yeah. pe- the people that are at play here? Right. Um, but yeah. It's hard to find details and then it's also hard to verify Ex- anything. Yeah, so, it sounds yeah. like, oh, it's something that happened in the hills, but we're not exactly sure. But no, right. this one is true and crazy. It's just like it, yeah, crazy little village where everyone <laughs> went murder crazy. For 10 fucking years. For two, for How t- many people was like, they suspected like 200 people were killed? 300. 300. There's no, there's no number it's for sure, but higher. it's around 300. I bet you it's, it's higher. Be higher. They called it the murder district. Wow. <laughs> you like, you're just trying to get from your cart, your donkey and cart from one village to the other. They're like, don't go by the murder district. You don't won't. go by and marry and, and, and fucking physically abuse anyone in the murder district. See, cause it's, uh, that's why I like the story too. Cause when you first read it, you're like, ha, good. But it's like, yeah. no, you, that's a natural reaction of like uh, when things feel unfair and then revenge is like feels yeah. like the best answer, but it never is because it's that unchecked power thing that, it, no one's immune to that the effect of unchecked power. Everything gets out of hand eventually. Yes, period. when there's when there's too much arsenic. <laughs> Where are they getting all that flypaper? I asked. Yeah, you. yeah. You think that the fucking whatever the the fucking dude who works at the drugstore selling all the flypaper <laughs> would be like, this is odd. Or they're like sending away to the Sears catalog for it, or just like <laughs> no one's checking this at all. Hundreds of rolls of flypaper. I bet there were a lot of flies in that village, too. <laughs> the flies were scared shitless. Um. All right. So I first heard about this story like two weeks ago when I was tagged by a bunch of people. Thank you. On Instagram, on a Instagram called History Photographed. And oh. they do these cool photos and then they tell you the story about whatever it's about. And it's a lot of stuff I've never heard of, which is fun. A lot of it's made so- up. <laughs> oh, shit. And here's one of those stories. (laughs) Entirely fabricated history. (laughs) Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oops. Oops. Oh, well, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so this is the story of Hans Schmidt, the first and only priest to be executed in the United States. Oh, shit. Have you heard that? Oh, Schmidt. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry. And we're off. <laughs> and here we go. No, I've never that- heard of this. Yeah, I didn't either. It's very odd. And I got info from the Daily News by an article by David Krajicek, a ranker article by Harris hey. uh, Temp- Tempest. What's up? Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and all that's interesting article. And then there's also a book that's uh, called The Trunk Dipped in Blood. And it's five sensational murder cases of the early 20th century by Mark Grossman. Nice. So here we go. Let's start. On September 5th, 1913... So it's the same time your shit's going on. Ooh, like so- yeah. at the same time across the world. I across love it. the world. I love in it. In New Jersey, yeah. So on September 5th, ni- 1913, two kids on the New Jersey side of the Hudson River come across the torso of an, a woman, the upper torso. Ooh. So the chest of a woman. And the next day, about three miles downriver at Weehawken, the lower torso of the same woman is found and it's in a pillowcase. And over the next several days, authorities find six total, a total of six different female body parts. And they're able to piece them together and find that all the body parts are from the same woman. An autopsy at the body parts tells police that they're investigating the murder of a woman who's under 30 years old, around five foot four, um, between 120 and 130 pounds. And the autopsy also reveals that the woman had prematurely given birth shortly before she was murdered. So that could have been from an abortion, which was illegal at the time. Yeah. Okay. But since, since the pieces were found on the New Jersey side of the Hudson, So technically, it should have been their case. But instead, the case, which is now known as the Hudson River Mystery, is turned over to the New York PD because the New New Jersey police are like, well, both of the packages that were found on our side contain the body parts uh, that contain the body parts have a type of rock called uh, schist rock. That's very common in Manhattan, but never found in New Jersey. So they're like, well, the crime was probably committed in New York. You guys can have the case, huh? which is like a twist on how it usually is. Yeah, I was just going to say, usually it's like, this is our area. Stay out of it. But they're yeah. kind of like, I wonder if it's because maybe the NYPD was so advanced at that time. They were like, you guys should probably take this because. Yeah, because clearly mm-hmm. it's horrif- some horrific situation. Yeah, it needs all the help it can get. So. So it goes to the NYPD. The investigation is assigned to the Manhattan chief of detectives. Uh, his name is Joseph Faroe. And he is famous for beginning the new era in police science uh, in a case in 1911, which was the first time fingerprints evidence alone led to a criminal conviction. Mm. So he's like the first he went to Scotland Yard, learned all about um, fingerprinting and like brought it back here and was like, I swear this works, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. 
Trust me. You have to believe me. So Detective Faroe, he uses that the pillowcase that one of the body parts was found in, uh, which is monogram with the letter A, as well as the newspaper that the body was wrapped in, which was uh, dated August 31st. And he uh, takes the tag in the monogram pillowcase and traces it back to a Manhattan furniture dealer named George Sachs. So they um, they find the receipt that coincides with the pillowcase purchase. And when they show the receipt to Mr. Sachs, he's like, oh, yeah, I totally remember that sale. It was made to a man who called himself A. Van Dyke. He paid in cash and he asked to have the items, including the pillowcase, delivered to his apartment. And he gives them the address to the apartment. OK, so this leads them to the third floor apartment in an, uh, of an, in an uptown building. And then when they question the building superintendent, he says that the apartment is occupied by a married couple and that the husband is a good looking man with a heavy German accent. And he had given his name as H. Schmidt. After a three day stakeout and no one is coming or going to the apartment, the inspector Faro orders a detective to break into the apartment. Probably legal at the time. <laughs> You gotta hope. So there, detectives find drops of blood on the walls and on the iron bedposts, and it looks like it's they've tried. Someone's tried to clean it up, and the re- they find the rest of the newspaper that it used to wrap the body. And then in a steamer trunk, they find a large bloodstained knife, a handsaw, and they also find a bunch of letters from Germany addressed to someone named Anna Amuller. So Inspector Faro goes to the New York address on those letters and finds a couple who knew Anna from Germany. They tell investigators that Anna had arrived in New York in 1908. She was 16 years old at the time. And uh, now she worked as a servant at several places and a housekeeper. But her last job had been at St. Boniface Catholic Church. Mm-hmm on 47th and 2nd. And there, the senior pastor, Reverend John Braun, said that he had fired Anna on August 13th, which was like a month earlier, um, before the body was found, not even. And uh, he had fired her after only eight months on the job because he, quote, was not satisfied with her way of life. And that she had then transferred to St. Joseph's Church, which is like, judgy. (laughs) (laughs) judge much catholics yes yeah yes they do they sure (laughs) do (laughs) so reverend braun was like you know who you need to speak with is anna's spiritual guide Mm -mm. who happened to be the former assistant pastor at that church his name was reverend hans schmidt and that both him and anna now worked at saint joseph church together a spiritual guide. A spiritual yeah. guide. I thought, I thought you meant like a spiritualist, like a psychic or something. Maybe. I don't really know. Well, I mean, if he's a priest, they just met sure. her. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. So inspect the inspector for and his detectives go to St. Joseph's rectory where the senior pastor, uh, Daniel Quinn, takes them into the parlor where Hans Schmidt is asleep and they wake him up and he's like, oh, fuck. And he becomes hysterical and says, I killed her. I killed her because I loved her. Oh. So he immediately admits admits to killing the woman that had been found in the Hudson River, which was Anna Amuller. And um, he then goes on to describe Anna's murder and dismemberment in detail. (laughs) His fellow priests who were like fucking napping too, probably, (laughs) were like, oh, my God. And look on in horror as he's taken into police custody. Wow. Just so. out with it right the second the <laughs> second they knock on the door. Yeah. Ugh. He wake, opens his eyes and starts admitting to shit, Ugh. you know? Yep. So let me tell you about Hans Schmidt. Hans Schmidt. 
He's born in the very... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Let me tell you about Ibiza Schmidt. Ibiza Schmidt. He's born in the Bavarian town of Aschaffenburg to a Protestant father and a Catholic mother in 1881. And as a kid, he liked to dress up like a clergyman. He would wear a cassock and collar. So like the priest's outfits, a priest dress. Yep. Yep. Yeah. His mom would like hand make him these little priest outfits because he wanted to be one so bad. He was like cosplaying Aww. priests. <laughs> Not aw. <Steven>. Creepy. Steven. <laughs> Steven. After Steven's like me too. 180 episodes. Steven busts in and that's what he's. That's what he. <laughs> I thought it was on mute to be honest. <laughs> Well, you weren't, and now you're never going to live it down. This is what Stephen does when he's on mute. He's he's having a completely different experience to these stories than we are. Aww. Creepy little little priest child. That's so sweet. Annabelle 3 coming to theaters. (laughs) So he makes his own altars at home, and he pretends to carry out services and sacrament, and he earns the nickname in town, The Little Priest. Mm. Aw, how cute. (laughs) So... According to Hans, he was also obsessed with blood and he used it in um, his fake religious rituals. And he liked to spend free time at the slaughterhouse <laughs> watching the slaughter of pigs and cows by the local butcher. Aww. Steven. Aww. Steven. <laughs> you mute now? No, this is bad. <laughs> he doesn't agree. A, I mean, a kid like this. We've got. We've got issues, but they couldn't yeah. have known from the just the priest outfit. It, although, no. although creepy, not you can't do anything about it. Slaughter no. slaughterhouse hobby, no, yeah. dude, no. And even the slaughter. What about the slaughterhouse hobby without the priest outfit? Like if they're separate, even separate. Now we've got the unholy union where you've got a child that likes blood rituals. Good Definitely. luck. Good luck. Everybody. Would you rather have a child become a butcher or a priest? That's the question you want to ask. Butcher yourself. one thousand percent. Okay. So, buh, 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 buh. Oh, you, okay. you weren't actually asking me. Okay, sorry. No, I. Now I'm gonna I put didn't myself think you'd on answer. mute. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> Let's I all go think... on mute for the rest of this story. <laughs> um, and he 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 himself says that um, early on the sight of blood stimulated his like very first sexual arousals. So not great, not chill. So Stephen, great job. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I love it. I'm sorry. And he also uh, claimed he was sexually abused by his older brothers. So, but that that was according to him. Right. So, allegedly. Eventually, Hans Schmidt heads to seminary school and at 25 years old is ordained in uh, 1904. And during parish assignments in the small villages, Schmidt allegedly molests altar boys, has affairs with several women and solicits sex workers. And meanwhile, parishioners and fellow priests are like over this dude and they complain to him to the Monsignor. What's it called? Monsignor. Monsignor. (laughs) Monsignor. <laughs> and the bishop about his creative ways of saying mass and eccentric sermons. He just goes off book and makes shit up. Yes. Oh my God. I would <laughs> die to see that. Why do you look so happy about it? I don't it? know because, well, you know why? 
Yeah. All my memories. When you said Monsignor, we had an old priest named Monsignor Tillman who mm-hmm. was so boring. Like he he would do the uh, do the reading and then he would start the homily and you were just like, Ugh, like you couldn't focus because yeah. it was just like somebody who had been doing the same job for a long time. And it was just yeah. like basically had a rhythm, a very boring rhythm to their voice. I will say this, though. Sorry to totally sidebar you, but. I just had a recovered memory because I remember my mom telling me that in the early 70s, Monsignor Tillman, when he was still a priest, a crazy mm-hmm. person ran up and stabbed him during a during church one day and he survived oh it. God. Holy shit. Isn't that amazing? So he's kind I bet of he was like he was a total waiting badass. for everyone to fall asleep. Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's just trying to keep everybody super calm at yeah. all times. But it's it's uh, the idea of a priest basically Go, being super weird during a homily would be kind of fascinating because because it, it's like it's not like it's not like going to temple where it's like you interpret the the Torah the way you want to interpret and tell stories and blah blah you know it's like this is these are the prayers and this well we have the same I mean well it's just it it's very formalized and very it's yeah. very stuffy and strict and so by the book literally yeah, there's no improv in in the catholic <laughs> church they don't there's no yes anding jesus as far as i know there's no yes anding jesus <laughs> oh my god okay uh sorry blah, 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 blah. that was no uh, that was never apologize epic sidebar okay it was amazing so he goes off books makes shit up and then uh, no other parishes offer him an assignment after he fucking blows all those other ones. Huh. So in 1909, he immigrates to the U.S. He's like, let's try out these idiots. Yeah. His first assignment is at St. John's Roman Catholic Church in Louisville, Kentucky. But he pisses off the senior pastor with his weird methods and ultimately transfers to this to St. Boniface's church in New York City, where we were just at. Yeah. In 1912. And um, he scandalized the pastor there by claiming to be- believe in free love. So he was just like, ooh, fucking back then doing his thing. Yeah. 19, yeah. Like, yeah. No. So this they're th- still not OK with that. No. This is where he meets our young Austrian housekeeper, Anna Amuller, uh, or Amuller. She is gorgeous. These dark eyes, dark hair. She looks to me like um, like Casey Wilson's great grandmother. Oh, you know, from uh, Happy Endings. Yeah, and yeah. She does the podcast Bitch Sesh. So just like this really striking features Mm -hmm. and she works in the rectory as the housekeeper and in later conversations with alienists which were old-timey psychiatrists hans schmidt claims to have heard a voice from god ordering him to love anna Uh. so she first i know she first refuses his advances but eventually they start having a sexual relationship and at the same time though he's having an affair with a new york dentist named Ernest Murat at the same time. So he's definitely down. He definitely believes in free love. Yeah, he's DTF. <laughs> and For he doesn't the care L-O-R-D. about it. There it is! Yes! <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, later that year, Schmidt is transferred to the other church, St. Joseph's in Harlem. It's possible because someone at St. Boniface discovered his affair with Anna, but Schmidt and Anna continue their relationship. And on February 26, 1913, they're, quote, married in a secret ceremony, but Schmidt performs it himself. So it's not real. And there was three cups of blood involved. (laughs) Yeah. You throw one over your left shoulder, one over your right (laughs) shoulder. Um 
and he writes their names on a marriage certificate and tells Anna that he's going to leave the priesthood for her. Mm. You are, can I just say you are surrounded by darkness right now? <laughs> it's this happens every time. We, and I don't think I have this lamp. You had this beautiful, you like face the sunset and you have this beautiful glowing sun in your face, you know, as the sun and sets. And then now your room is just encased in darkness. <laughs> and now I'm performing a blood ritual. I mean, it looks good. Now and now the big reveal. Mm. Oh, there we go. We have light. We're back. Okay, cool. Great. So soon after, Anna, who's 21 years old at this time, uh. and Hans Schmidt, who's 31 years old at this time, Anna tells, or Anna, tells Hans that she's pregnant. And he then realizes that this could be the thing that finally, you know, gets him kicked the fuck out of the church. And it's possible he forced her to get an abortion. We don't really know. And he might have been doing them himself, actually. No. Uh, no, I know. And it, it's very dangerous and illegal at the time because when it's illegal, it's dangerous, friends. Well, especially it, if you're a priest that doesn't know what the fuck you're doing. Right. Yeah. And then, um, oh, hello, Elvis. So then on the night of September 2nd, 1913, Hans Schmidt goes to the uptown apartment that he had rented for him and Anna. And he, where they were posing as a married couple, and he slashes her throat with a 12-inch butcher knife. He also drinks her blood, violates her, and uses a hacksaw to dismember her. Uh, So he's totally out of his mind. He's out of his fucking mind and always has been, it seems. Yeah. He wraps each section of her body in newspaper and puts her... Um, lower body in one of her pillowcases that had that monogrammed A on it. And he attaches those pieces of uh, rock called schist and uh, to the body parts. And then he boards a ferry seven different times, each time bringing a body part and dumping it overboard at different locations. Oh, man. I know. It's like this idea where it's the it's the thing that drives me nuts is people hiding behind religion because everybody looks at that priest and goes, well, sure, he's he's saying a bunch of crazy shit during the homily, yeah. but, you know, he's a priest, so we have to listen to him. We have to listen to him. Right. And back then, even more so, no one questioned, like, the Catholic Church and priests, they had this sway over everyone. So I'm sure this young woman was, like, she was probably honored that he was paying yeah. attention to her and, like... It's just and and meanwhile, he's totally out of his. He's just psychotic, probably. Well, and it's the same thing, too, where where they each place finds out that he's got issues and they and just like it it would years later when the fucking sex scandal or the child molestation scandal comes out. Yeah. They just move him around. Yes. So he never has to take responsibility. He goes on to hurt other people. It's. And they move yeah. that they move him to poorer uh, right. churches and areas so that they, you know, it's people with less sway, people yeah. with less. I mean, uh, it's just such a gross, tor- a terrible history. It is. Make your son become a butcher. Always. Also, they they make good money. <laughs> okay, dumping it overboard on dif- at different locations. So. So back to the arrest, Schmidt confesses to his illegal marriage with Anna and admits to killing her. He claims he did it because he loved her and says, quote, sacrifices should be consummated in blood. No. Calm down, you fucking asshole. Just relax. (laughs) He also tells police that St. Elizabeth of Hungary, his patron saint, had come to him one night and told him that a sacrifice must be done and that it must be done in blood. 
just the same as Abraham was ordered to slay Isaac. It's like, you're just putting words together and fucking blaming it on God at this point. Yeah. Dick. Yeah. And also, you can go through the Bible and find any kind of crazy story that can justify your bad behavior. It's interesting, I mean, though, that we that see it a lot, don't we? We see it a lot. Also, from Hungary. What area in Hungary? <gasps> a small, Holy creepy shit. village. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. That? It goes all the way to that. That's crazy. It, it goes all the way to the top of Hungary. <laughs> So Hans Schmidt reveals that he had also been a medical student before he was ordained and he would often pose as a medical physician to perform illegal abortions. And a search of his apartment later turns up numerous business cards with pseudonyms and dozens of bottles of illegal medication. And they also find out that the dentist he was having an affair with, Ernest uh, Moret, he uh, he was trying to remove evidence of other illegal shit after Hans got arrested. Oh, so, but then he quickly uh, buckles and tells police that Schmidt had plotted to commit a string of murders and collect on the victim's life insurance policies. So, like, he'd go to these churches where he'd be assigned and the old people that he would, like, you know, quote, fucking put them out of their misery and then, you know, put himself on their life insurance. Well, so then, was just, but then I'm wrong, though, that he's not crazy. Then he is just right. He's a, a cold blooded killer he's not right it's not insanity it's it's a plan well that's what the fucking trial's about so the story becomes huge front page news all over new york in the world the next uh, the, immediately and the scandal becomes this huge sensation it's like a media circus the press camps outside the courthouse during the trial which starts on december 7th 1913 so his guilt isn't in question because he admitted to everything so his lawyers go for the insanity defense and claim that he was overwhelmed with bloodlust and he was too insane to know right from wrong but you're right he made a plan that's yeah that says a lot mm -hmm. they get his older sister to travel from germany to testify that he heard voices from a young age and has a psych uh, psychologist say that or psychologist yeah, psychologists say that his family tree showed up to 60 near or distant relatives who displayed signs of mental instability which is like Join the fucking club, friend. Cut, cut the <laughs> It's not an excuse. There's lots of family trees. We're, we're out here. We're That's right. a forest of all kinds of mental stuff, and you still That's don't right. get to kill anybody. No, you don't. After 23 days of trial, the jury is deadlocked 10 to 2. Uh, two people think he is insane. The other 10 are like, convict this fucker. Mm -hmm. So the judge has to declare a mistrial. And then meanwhile, the relentless media coverage leads to more details about his history. And when they find out when in Louisville, where he was first assigned in the U.S. in 1909, the body of an eight-year-old girl named Alma Kellner had been found in the basement of St. John's Parish, where he worked. <gasps> Uh-huh. The girl had gone missing when Schmidt was in Louisville and her body was found dismembered, similar to Anna's. And the um, body had been burned, so they aren't able to conclusively pin it on Schmidt. But they find a local janitor who's a French native named Joseph um, Wenling. And he's convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the murder based on circumstantial evidence. Oh. But, I mean, we, we never know. We never find out like for sure if he did it, but it's such a... Co quote coincidence yes yeah you know so even further back in schmidt's history german police trace evidence of a murdered girl in schmidt's hometown of aschaffenburg that's possibly connected to him as well so who the fuck knows how many other victims this person had oh 
little baby priest creep. Yeah. Little baby priest creep. That sounds like a nursery rhyme. <laughs> it's also like little deuce coop a little bit. <laughs> we have a little baby priest. <laughs> baby creep. Uh, it's too many words. <laughs> at the opening of the retrial, his attorney is like, "He, I'm going to prove to you guys that this priest is insane. And Hans Schmidt jumps out of his chair and says, that's not true. I'm not insane or whatever. And it's like, dude, do yourself <sighs> a fucking favor. But no, he's a megalomaniac and can't can't even handle that. So he's he's saying he's not smart. Exactly. So at the second trial, the judge advises the jury to really use their common sense. I think this he's like the second time around. Can you fuck you two people who couldn't get it together last time? Please use common sense and says, bear in mind, it isn't every form of mental unsoundness that excuses a crime, mm-hmm. which I love that. It's so true. Um, so on February 5th, 1914, after three hours of deliberation, the jury finds Hans Schmidt guilty of first degree murder and he's sentenced to death by electric chair. His appeals are ultimately denied. And on February 18th, 1916, Hans Schmidt is put to death in the electric chair in New York's Sing Sing prison. The last thing he says is, I ask forgiveness of all those I have injured or scandalized. And he becomes and remains the only Catholic priest to be executed for murder in the United States. And 21-year-old Anna Amuller's head was never recovered. And her remains were never claimed by anyone, sadly. Uh, uh. So she's buried in Potter's Field on Hart Island. Oh, I know. It's so sad. And so that is the story of the killer priest, Hans Schmidt, the first and only priest to be executed in the United States. Whoa. I I now want to read like a book about that guy. Yeah. I think that the one I said is the only one I could. That's the only one I could find. The trunk dripped blood. I want to read the other four. Yeah. (laughs) Like what? It's five cases. And I never heard of that one. I'm wondering what the other ones are. Yeah, that's. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't believe they, like, even back then, because they were so religious, everyone, that they executed a priest is pretty big. I mean, how can you not, though? It's like, he (laughs) admitted it. He has this insane background. Yeah. They're probably like, you're not a priest. Yeah, really. You would do stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, man. That was great. Thank you. I've never heard of that. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Thanks to History Photographed on Instagram for letting me know about that one. Nice one. Nice job, History Photographed. You better not be fucking making shit up. Like, you better <laughs> not be says. two 14 year old boys bored in a quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like posting pictures of the Titanic. This old boat was haunted. <laughs> what? Okay. Let's do fucking hoorays. Let's do it. You want to go first? Sure. Can I do two really short ones as one? Do whatever you want. This is your show. This one's called, this one's from Ashley Lovely with ease at the end. My fucking hooray. I shaved my head last week and I feel so free. (laughs) And then the other one is from little underscore lion underscore underscore king. Can my fucking hooray be that I finally officially quit my job at Cracker Barrel? (laughs) Oh, I mean, (laughs) yeah. I just thought those were two little (laughs) perfect ones. Those are good. Well, my, I'm, mine's going to start is a big one. This is from Chloe. My fucking hooray is that I managed to end a very long abusive relationship. 
What's crazy is that it's been a month and his two most recent exes reached out to me and validated everything that I had experienced and helped assure me that I am not, in fact, crazy. We've made a group chat and have been supporting each other and are planning on meeting up for drinks after all this dies down. Real queens fix each other's crowns. Oh, and also do not stand abusive pricks. Love the show. And I can't begin to explain how much you have impacted my life. Stay sexy and don't let shitty exes win. Oh my God. Isn't that the best? That's so good. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Chloe, good job. I'm speechless. That's, I have chills. Yeah. Tell the, tell Uh, those two, uh, tell those two other women we say hi as well. Yeah. And great job. Yeah. Okay. This one's from Kat, Kato Pancake. (laughs) On uh, Instagram. (laughs) Hello, MFM family. In 2019, I finally quit the job that nearly destroyed me both physically and mentally. While at the same time, I was continuing to deal with a past sexual assault. But at the end of March 2020, I was able to buy my first house and complete a lifelong dream of being a homeowner. I just turned 26 and I realize I'm very young, but I can bet that buying a house with the fuck you money you got from a shitty job feels good at any age. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Love to you all. And remember, you're worth more than a paycheck. Love, Kato. Oh, nice. Good job, Kato. Good job. This is from Valeria One Gam. Uh, it says, first of all, I want to say, love you guys, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I just finished listening to all the episodes, so I'm officially caught up. Anyways, it's really long. Mm-hmm. My fucking hooray is that my boyfriend and I have decided to start a little garden so that we don't have to leave the house as often to use veggies that we would usually have to go to the store to buy. And it makes me happy. Hope you're all staying safe and healthy. Love V and her dog. Wait, is she Cute. saying her dog is her boyfriend? <laughs> hey, no judgments. <laughs> Do what you want. Do your thing. <laughs> Cute. This is from Katie Parrish. On April 24th, our third baby boy was unexpectedly born six weeks early. Giving birth and having him spend time in the NICU during this pandemic was surreal, stressful, and exhausting. Mm-hmm. There were many new strict rules, and because of social social distancing, our friends and family couldn't help us in person. But they supported us in other ways, and our doctors and nurses were sweet baby angels. Whenever a COVID patient got better and was discharged, they would play the Rocky theme song throughout the hospital. <gasps> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, care. Get oh, it. No. Cry. Go ahead. That's a, such a good idea. That's uh-huh. amazing. It was an amazing mood booster and gave us hope. After three weeks, we finally got to bring our munchkin home. I got to hold my baby and huff his head while unmasked. My five and three-year-olds got to meet their new brother and our family is together safe at home. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a fucking, what a thing to go through during normal times. Yeah. And then add a pandemic for everyone. It's stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. This one is from uh, Walls, W-A-L-S. And the subject line is quarantine projects slash hoorays. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> like a, t- it just starts. Like a couple of stereotypical lesbians, my girlfriend and I started on some home improvement projects during quarantine. 
parentheses, but not before dyeing my hair blue and giving me an undercut. Right yeah. now, <laughs> right now we're hard at work redoing the back deck, and it's tedious on your hands and knees work, but it's so satisfying to watch the slow but steady transformation in a time mm. where everything is uncertain and my anxiety is back to a difficult to manage level. It's comforting to work on something tangible that also allows me to have a modicum of control, healthy coping for the win. Also, my girlfriend has loved watching the videos of people deep cleaning really filthy car interiors, all types of flooring, <laughs> exteriors of homes, shit like that. And she's yeah. always wanted a pressure washer, which frankly is the cutest, purest thing in the whole ass world. <laughs> so this week I bought one for her and wow, the it, the absolute unbridled joy in her face and in her voice when I loaded it into the car and when we put it together and when she used it for the first time made me so happy. Fucking hooray for the happiness of loved ones. P.S. I work for the state. I won't say which one, but Coase has hit us hard. And going to Zoom meetings with blue hair has been fucking hooray because <laughs> the reactions are one of two extremes. An excited, hell yes, girl, or a stuffy, mildly confused, oh. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. <laughs> that's a real slice of life. Thank you, Walls. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. I want a pressure washer. Is that weird? It, not at all. I have one that's like, it's not an official one, but it's like the kind you get at the hardware store, but it's yeah. basically like makes the stream from your hose even smaller. And it is Ooh. really satisfying. But that yeah. actually made, somebody just recently retweeted that made me think of the, there's a video of someone vacuuming that huge blue whale that's at the Museum of Natural History in New York City. Whoa. What? Because it gets crazy dusty and i oh, guess yeah, they, yeah. they vacuum it once a year and it the nice. video so look it up if you like stuff like that because the video is crazy satisfying to just watch the whale go from like kind of light brown to then you see the blue <laughs> underneath it's really funny <laughs> i have a i have a feeling someday i'm well i don't know if Vince will let me do this because he's so private but i want to do like a, a garage makeover of our our fucking murder garage oh yeah and turn it into like a cool well, your garage Place. just looks like everyone's garage. That's what they, yeah. that's every garage kind of in America, unless you do a makeover. Right. What if you just keep on tiling all the way out into the garage? <laughs> all the way up? Out into the sidewalk. It's just filled with tile. <laughs> what is this, Morocco? People are just like. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate your support. We know this is a really fucking hard time for everyone, and there's confusion and scariness and stress and anxiety and we are there with you we are and i just want to say before we finish um there's a very sad thing in the los angeles comedy community a comic named richard bain died recently and a couple days ago um and it's a huge loss very surprising very upsetting for a lot of people and he was one of those kind of comics i didn't know him i wasn't personal friends with him i mean i i knew him to say hi to but i wasn't friends friends with him so i but i am friends with a lot of people that were very close to him and i i thinking about them a lot because it's bothered me so much hearing about it that i can't imagine what they're going through but it's weird because when like he was one of those comics that was like such a 
in down to his bones comedian. He was such a hilarious person and a really funny, fun person. Mm. Like he was always doing bits, but not in this super irritating way, like in the way of like having fun in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you lose a person like that, it's it's it hits in this way where it may along with everything else that's going on, it's very like jarring to reality because he seemed to be having such a great time. And I think he did I think he mm he did um but also people are very complex obviously and there's lots lots going on under the surface for all of us but i just want to say that that he'll be remembered and he was very very deeply respected and admired and he he's just known as one of the funniest people in you know in this scene and um so it's very sad so i just wanted to take a second to to remember him well but that's it for us we will talk to you very soon. And in the meantime, stay strong and mm-hmm. stay safe. And of course, most importantly, stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Elvis, you're right here. You want a cookie? Ooh, it's a live, live one. one. Oh <laughs> Good boy. Cookie? Okay, so Apple TV Plus's new crime drama is Defending Jacob, and it follows an assistant DA whose life is turned upside down when his son is accused of murder. So it stars Chris Evans, Michelle Dockery, and Jaden Martell. In this limited series, they play a family whose fate hangs in the balance of the legal system. Apple asked us to partner with them to create some special content to give our listeners a chance to put themselves in the Barber family's shoes. And so what you're about to hear right now is George and I, we got the chance to talk to Michelle Dockery and Jaden Martell so they could tell us about what it was like to work on this show and all that behind the scenes stuff. It was super, we were super excited to talk to them. So here's a little bit of that conversation. You know, because there's this family goes through some really horrible things and has to make some really tough decisions. Did you guys ever think, you know, as you were going through that, like in real life, what would I actually do as opposed to what my character is doing right now? Yeah, with any character that you play, you always sort of question you know, what would I do? You know, how would I react? I would probably be a little bit more like Andy. I would be going out of my way to, you know, find the, you know, the person that did it. And it's definitely the thing that drew me to the character because I initially read the first few, I can't remember how many we read Jaden, but it was like three or four initially. And, you know, as I was reading it, I was thinking, okay, where is this going? Where does she stand on this? And then there's that scene with Vogel where she you know she begins to question the past and um there's the flashback of the you know tiny Jacob in the bowling alley yeah. which was kind of strange to shoot actually <laughs> that was intense watching a very tiny <laughs> child holding a bowling ball over the other kid's head which um is very strange if this is true what what right. did I do wrong yeah. Right. Because you're responsible for, well, how responsible is like nature versus nurture in terms of Absolutely. that situation? Yeah. yeah. So it would be yeah. such a huge question for, for a mother. Yeah. Jaden, one of the, one of the things we were talking about, Jaden, is, is your, how amazing you are. They were talking about how impressive it was to watch you walk that line where you're playing a character and you kind of, you you just have to seem innocent and guilty at the same time, kind of. Did yeah. you have any, uh, were there any tricks you were using to do that or anything that you were thinking of particularly to play that? Because you did it so well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So it was just, 
either he's you know he's super innocent or he seems super normal he has he loves his family he plays video games he has friends um so it was either he is um a kid in this terrible situation or he's um an incredible liar yeah so it's just it's like <laughs> it seems the same on the outside but it's just figuring out um, who he was internally. You definitely play a, a, an angsty teen really well. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys before this have any interest in true crime? Michelle, it seems like you might have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might have. But, yeah, like to show called My Favorite Murder. Um, it, it was something really drew me to the, the job, actually, was the genre. I love a crime drama. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about this one is that it, it really focuses so much on the family and how they deal with it, you know, more so in some way than the whodunit uh, part of the, of the story. Jaden, any interest in true crime? Not really, but I was thinking about it. I feel like I went through a long phase where I was really trying to figure out um, like who killed Tupac and Biggie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my true crime phase where I would do research on on YouTube and yes. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Like yeah. Any theories? I don't know. I don't want to throw anybody. Yeah. Out, but, that's fair. But pretty much <laughs> throw anybody. Out. That's smart. That's smart. Very, it's very I smart. Have my yeah. I have my theories. I love we email us some theories. We'd love to hear them. <laughs> yeah. Once we stop recording, you can give us the inside scoop. Um, well, we always ask everybody if they have a hometown murder, which is like we. For, for George and I, we got interested in um, true crime kind of at young ages because we were exposed to, I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, so there was like the Trailside Killer and there was, lo- there was lots of serial killers up there actually. So were there any, can you remember any like hearing about crimes like that um, at a young age or anything that made an impression on you? I don't, but I today I thought I'm going to Google it actually and find out if there's anything from my <laughs> My hometown, and I have one which I think you <laughs> will uh, interest you. <laughs> but this was all I could find, um, so I'm I'm going to read it to you. Hissing Sid the Swan, evicted from River <laughs> Chelmna in Essex, which is where I'm from, <laughs> after trying to drown a girl. Arguably one of the most notorious and violent swans <laughs> to grace Essex waters. Hissing Sid was finally evicted from the River Chelmna in 2010. He attacked hundreds of walkers and canoeists during his time in the river yeah. by capsizing their boats and pecking them. Hissing Sid famously tried to dr- drown a 13-year-old girl after he forced her boat to capsize before flapping his wings to keep her under the water. Oh Following a spate of offences, I love that. Following a spate of offences, the rogue swan was finally captured and removed from the river in August 2010. <laughs> I think you just won hometowns. <laughs> wow. Follow at Apple TV on Instagram and Twitter to join the discussion. Each week, they'll post a crucial question about that week's episode. Find out what you and other viewers would actually do. And watch Defending Jacob on Apple TV Plus every Friday. Goodbye. Goodbye.